following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. All right, grab your Bibles, which I know you have. Uh, maybe you have a faith folder, put that on your lap, get your pen ready, and here we go. We are in chapter 11. We just broke uh, that bread last uh, Sunday. Uh, pa- Pastor Fred gave us a, a wonderful start into this, this moment with Jesus, where his disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. And Jesus leads them in what we know, come to, have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. As we get started, I want to welcome those that are online because we have come to understand there are people around the world, especially this wonderful church in Africa that uses our sermons as their Sunday morning experience. And so we welcome you. We're so glad that you are part of us and uh, thankful for the work that God is doing in your lives. Um, But we are in verse 5. As we pick up the context of this passage, Jesus has just, just... given them the, this beautiful prayer. Now, you know, who else should we want to hear from but from him on how we are to talk to him? Like, I mean, God, you know, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Hebrews 1, it says he's the exact imprint of God. Like, so like when God spoke in these days, it said he spoke son. That's how the Greek reads there, that he literally spoke the word, Jesus Right? And so like when we want to know him, we have come to know his son. And, and Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen him. And here we have God telling us, like showing us, modeling for us, but how to talk. Like this is what you need to ask for. Let's, let's start with like remembering who he is. He's father. But let's never forget that, that he's worthy of, of holy, holy, holy and reverence and awe. Right, And then let's remember that it's not about my will, but his will. And what we really, really should want is his kingdom to come, not my kingdom to come, but his kingdom to come through and in in my life first and then through my life that others would experience the culture of the king of kings, that that, that others would experience his kingdom through the way that I, I live and love and serve and give, right? And then, and then he, he tells us to ask for our daily bread. Right and and that we would that do we have daily needs that only God can provide? Absolutely. Does he is he keenly aware of what our needs are even before we ask? You know he says that he says in Matthew six that don't worry because like you're more precious than the birds and the grass that is clothed and fed, right? And uh, and oh you of little faith like seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added and all these things you tend to worry about. And, uh, and need, God knows, right? And uh, so we're, 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 we're encouraged to, to ask God for daily bread. And that's not just for food, guys. I mean, probably most importantly, for man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's for his precious bread, his son, right? Jesus is the bread of life. But that's, that's talking about all of our basic necessities, that we would understand that, that you are the provider, right? And then it says that, we should, we should ask for forgiveness by all means. God, forgive us of our debts, trespasses, our sins. But then it has this caveat. Jesus says, as you already have forgiven those who trespassed against you. We set the, our stand, we set the standard for God's forgiveness. 
Like he says later on in verse 14 and 15, he says, if you don't forgive, neither will my heavenly father forgive you. Like, so like, so like, man, like we should give the same lavish grace and love and forgiveness, mercy that others, that Christ has given us. That's the benchmark. Forgive. This is what we, we, what Pastor Fred read. Forgive as in Christ you have been forgiven. That's the benchmark. And then he goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How necessary is that part of the prayer? Are are you praying that on every occasion as we pray without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says? And then that brings us to this section of the the text. And before I read it, I want to give you kind of why, I mean, I agonize and I probably shouldn't because how many of you, if I asked you on Wednesday what the title of the message last week was, you'd probably be like, I should know that. I don't know. Because um, I agonize over these because I want them to really be very, very um, authentic to the text. I want them to really be the idea of what we're really after. So when I say pursuing God in prayer, I mean that literally. Like, Man, guys, how often do we end up pursuing God in prayer for healing instead of pursuing him as the healer? So often we want his presence, but do we, really, do we want his presence, right? And that's ultimately what we, we should desire. That's really what, so when I say pursuing God in prayer, I mean that literally, like, that's our dwell. That's, that's what we should be doing is pursuing God in prayer. Are you with me? Yeah. Right? Rather than pursuing a car or even, even some of the most, the, the most important things in life are dwarfed because everything we need is found in him. Do you believe that this morning? Right? I mean, if you're in need of comfort, you're in need of peace, you're in need of, of love, you're, you're struggling to love others, right? Like, it's pursuing him that, that really gives us the resources, the perspective, the attitude, the heart that we need in order to do most of the things that we're really asking God for. But ideally, we were pursuing God in prayer. Can I ask, are you doing that? Is that does that mark your prayer life, that you're pursuing him? Like, that's what you're after, Delight yourself in the Lord. That, that means, you know, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That means to take pleasure in him so that he can, he can take and replace your desires with his desires so that we can pray what he wants us to pray. And then pr- trust me, your prayer life will be all uber fruitful when you start praying his will rather than your will, right? Uh, Jeremiah 33.3 says this, call to me. And I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you don't know. Isn't that awesome? Call to me and I will answer you. And this is a promise of God to the people of God. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things. Like you could search all day long, but you're not going to find that. Like I will, I will tell you. I will give that to you if you call to me, acknowledging that I'm the answer to every single quest and request in your life. All right, let's read the text together. We're going to pick up in verse 5. We're in Luke chapter 11. Please follow along. It will be on the screen, but I I hope you're a student of the word. And and here we go, 5 to 13. 
And he, and he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you if he asks, if, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Man, this is so rich in, in our understanding, comprehensive even, in our understanding of what it means to pray, like the attitude, the, like the pursuit, the, 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 the characteristics of prayer, the attitude of prayer. So let's look at the first verse here, verse five. Um, before I do, I, I want to kind, of, um, kind of just unpack something that is really kind of um, a, an overview of this particular moment. Uh, do you know that our Heavenly Father isn't a grumpy neighbor? A, a grumpy neighbor that's a friend? Do you, know, do you know that that's what Jesus is doing here? He does this most often. In, in chapter 18, what he does is he, he contrasts God with a judge that is not godly, right? To, to, to point out how incredibly just and righteous he is as our judge, right? Here he's contrasting a benevolent friend, you know, a friend that maybe requires a lot of persistence to get what you need, but that's not, the point is that God is not like that, okay? A lot of times we, we misrepresent, is, is it important to be persistent in prayer? Yes, that's really not at the heart of what's being said here. God doesn't require us to, to nag him to death, right? He is already, please hear me, God is already in a posture of wanting to give you the good and perfect gifts. And you know what the best gift he gives you is? His Holy Spirit, right? Himself, right? That's, that's what he wants to do. And so what we got to understand is like God wants to give you more, like what he has planned for you is he says, ask. Um, if we ask, he, more than we can ask or imagine, Right? more than we can ask or imagine. This is God's posture. But a lot of times what we're doing is like what James says. James says, there are two reasons why we ask and don't receive. Can anybody remember these in the book of James? One's in chapter one, verses five through nine, and the other one's in chapter four. And we're told that in chapter one that, you know, listen, God wants to give every single person. He says, I, he will give wisdom, verse five. And this has to do with how to work through how to actually have joy in adversity. This, this is the, the specific wisdom that he's talking about there. But what he says here is, he says, look, God will give wisdom to all who ask without finding fault. 
He's saying he's going to be generous and it doesn't have anything to do with what you do or don't do. He's, he just wants to give you wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is applied truth. Wisdom isn't just supreme intellect. Wisdom is what we need in order to like put truth in action. That's what wisdom is. Okay? So how desperate are we for that? Right? And so he says, just ask for it and I will give you liberally. Now, here's the thing. He goes on to say in verses 6 to 9, but if you ask without faith, you're a double-minded man, unstable in all your ways, and do not think you'll receive anything. Right? So we're, we're to ask. Now, does that mean in faith that we're going to get what we want? That's not what faith is. Faith is faith in his character, in his faithfulness, in who he is, and what he's promised in his word. Does that make sense? Our faith is not in getting what we want. It's in, it's in really getting who we ideally want. And it's, it's letting, it's, it's, it's declaring that you are faith, like it's trusting him. Does that make sense? That's what biblical faith is. And then in chapter four, he says this. He says, um, you know, why do you not get what you ask for? Because he says, you ask with wrong motives that you might spend it on yourself. And he says, you will not receive what you ask for. So I just want to throw that out there because um, those are two biblical criterias that the, the scriptures tell us why we're not seeing our prayers answered. And if you think about it, thank God for unanswered prayer, right? Because we might want things out of bad motive, right? God, kill them, right? I'm really mad at them. And, you know, thank God for unanswered prayer. I mean, I'm being ex- extravagant there, but you know what I mean? So I want to make sure that we understand that this is a contrast that Jesus is making here. Our heavenly father isn't a grumpy neighbor. He is completely opposite, completely opposite to that. He is a benevolent God wanting to pour out his mercy and grace, his kindness, his truth, his life, his heart, his word into your life. Right? Are we asking, and that's what I'm saying, like, guys, is your prayer life marked by like pursuing God or are you pursuing him for, for stuff? Have you ever, has you ever had someone come, come to you and just want you for what you have? Right? I mean, like God wants us in prayer to be pursuing him, right? And is that, does that mark the characteristics of your prayer life? That it's just, God, I just, I just need more of you. Like, what did, what, did, what did Moses pray for? He said, show me your glory. That's what, he was, that's just, that's what he's asking. And did God do that? You know, I, I, we have a father that says, oh, uh, you know, he made the statement, if you can. You know, Jesus like, if I can? Like, really? <laughs> like, what can't, you know? And then he says, oh, I believe, help my unbelief. What did he do in that very moment? He helped his unbelief. He answered his prayer. He healed his son, right? He was asking for the right thing. Do you think God, the, the disciples asked for one thing, not teaching, but just, they said, increase our faith. Do you think, did, did God do that? Right? I, I think a lot of times we're asking for the wrong things, with the wrong motives, with lack of faith in who he is. So if a drowsy neighbor eventually meets the needs of an annoying friend, my paraphrase, won't 
our extravagantly kind Heavenly Father listen and provide for his beloved children. That's the contrast that Jesus is making here. Let's remember, this is so huge, don't miss this. Let's remember he wants, God the Father wants us to know him as Father. It was his idea. It's his idea to be your daddy. And then Jesus went through all of that to make that possible. He's the door, the gate, the way back to the Father. He's the, he's the only way, right? And so, and then we see in Romans, listen, if you're going to read something this afternoon as a part of your, your time with the Lord, your dwell time this afternoon, read through Romans 8. I probably say that a lot because it seems to correlate. But like in that passage in verses 14 to 17, it talks about like that the Holy Spirit actually enables and beckons us to call him daddy. Like, this is what God wants. He wants to be your daddy, Nadia. He loves you that much. Like, that's how much, he wants to be a father to the fatherless. And if we really think about it, like, no, no earthly father can ever, ever capture the characteristics and the power and the, and the purpose and the heart of our heavenly father. And he longs, like it's his, please let that bathe over your hearts today. It's his idea, idea to be your daddy. And then he did everything possible to make that a reality, a truth. You're adopted by the God of the universe that says, hey, call me daddy. Call me daddy. And what's amazing about it is Jesus said this. When you pray, Matthew 6, he says, verse 9, he says, our father. He shared his father with us. Jesus is on board for this adoption thing to the point where he said, I'll pay the price, dad, so that they can be in our family. That's what he did. It's amazing to me. The spirit urges us, as I mentioned, in this relationship so look at, look at five and six with me, and I, you might see some new, new pieces that you didn't see the first time we read this. Okay, listen to this. And he, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? Now let me, let me tell you why. This, this is a parable. This is an illustration of heavenly principle, right? When Jesus uses the word midnight, in Jewish context, in first century, uh, t- like, time frames, um, the day began at what time? 6 p.m., right? Um, 6 p.m., yes, I did say p.m., right? That's when their day started, and, and it went to the following day at 6 p.m., right? But if you think about it, like the, the, the watch of the night had three-hour intervals. There was four watches in the night. So the end of the watch ended at 6 a.m. So the middle of the night was midnight, So the point Jesus is making is this is the middle of the night. This is the the most inappropriate time to knock on someone's door. You know, this is when you don't knock on your neighbor's door, right? This is when, and the only reason you would knock on a friend neighbor's door is because there's urgency here. You've had someone else that came and knocked on your door. You know, that's that's come on a journey and they're in need and now, by degree of hospitality, the necessity of Jewish culture is, I don't, have any, I don't have anything to give them. Okay, that's the context. But it says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? In other words, this is the only time you go to him 
Here's, here's the point I was trying to make here. Is, is that the only time that you go to God in prayer? When there's an emergency? I mean, is there occasion where you just thank him? Is there occasion where you just stop and praise him because he's just worthy of that? And you just worship him because that's what heaven does? Like, you know, but like here we see that this is, this is the only time, like that's the, the connotation is that hopefully it's not the only time that this friend talks or asks anything of this friend or gives or shares with us that it's only when they're in an emergency. So it says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, one of the things we must understand is you, you don't go knocking on someone's, can you imagine going to one of your neighbors at midnight, knocking on the door, saying, I need some food because I've had someone come to my house, you know, and I, I, I need to feed them. I, I, I mean, like, but you don't go to, like, if the, you're in that situation, whose house do you go to? You know, maybe the baker's house, right? Right? You, you go to someone's house. If you're going to knock on their door and wake them up, you have, I, I would imagine you have a lot of confidence that they've got three loaves of bread. Right? You're not going to knock on someone's door. I don't think they got this, but I'll wake them up. You know, I mean, like, you know, that's not, I mean, so, you know, I would believe that he's asking someone that he is confident has it. So here's my question. When you go to the Lord, do you go to him with that confidence? Do you go to him knowing that he's the bread of life? And if I need bread, this is where I've got to go. And I'm going to knock. And you know what's so cool? This friend is not excited about the knock on the door. Have you ever had that happen? You ever had someone in your house come to your house, knock on the door, and you're like, no, I don't care who it is. No. You know, like, like I, I mean, that's probably the, the response that Jesus is trying to invoke here. But the other thing that he's trying to teach us in this moment is this is exactly opposite how God, of, of how God responds to that moment. Are you with me? Like, he is excited. He is, he is thrilled that you are acknowledging your need before him and that he's the need meter, Right? And so, like, are you confident when you go to him in prayer that he's got bread to spare? Are you? That's, that's the posture. That's the contradiction here that in this illustration. For, and then verse 6, For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, seemingly extremely unexpected, right? They didn't have cell phones. They didn't, you know, they didn't like... Smokes it, you know, none of that, right? So, like, it, seemingly unexpected. And here's the thing. This is what I love. This is what Jesus is saying. Our Heavenly Father is never surprised by our needs. Do you know that? Do you know he has an answer before you have a problem? Do you know that he's seen your life from start to finish before you faced it? As much as you are surprised by the need that arises in the midst, in the midnights of life, he is not. He and, and do you think that he's pleased when we acknowledge that truth? God, I know you're not surprised by this. And I also know that you love me enough to have already had a plan for this. So would you help me to understand your will in this moment? Because I don't want to do this. Because, you know, those moments can actually be tests of faith for us, which are very beneficial. And he just wants us to come to him and trust him. He is not the unexpected friend. He is not the, the grumpy neighbor friend. 
He is the one that goes, I'm so glad you got up and I'm so glad that you're calling on me. I'm right here and I love you, right? So he's not surprised by our needs. And then it says, and I have nothing. I have nothing. Now, I love this because this is us before God. This is us before God, ideally. We have nothing and we know that he has bread, right? That, that, that is when we're in the most ideal posture with God in prayer is when we go, I don't have anything here and I have a need here, but you are the need meter. You are the bread of life. Are you with me? Like that, that's, that's, that's how we, that's faith in prayer right there. That's what it looks like. And he says that I, I have nothing to set before him, meaning the friend that's come in the middle of the night. And so I love that he's asking on behalf of another's need and a desire to give. Isn't that another aspect of ideal prayer? He's, he's asking on behalf of someone else's need with a desire to be the instrument that God might use to give. There, there's that principle that we see in that. I love this commentary. It says this. This parable points out that God's children must persist in their prayers and that he is always ready to give. It encourages his kids to pray with confidence. Even friends will, will help us at inconvenience to themselves if one asks in persistence, how much more will God who loves his children come to them or come to their aid when they persist in their prayers to him? Doesn't that make sense? Verse seven, and he will answer from within. Now this is talking about the, the friend that's been waking, woken up at uh, midnight. He will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. You, can I say something? Um, God is never bothered by your request, your prayer. Do you, do you, I hope, I just want to dispel that lie. I don't know if you ever pray that way, like, God, it's me again. Yeah, I did that again. And I need this again. Look, God is not bothered by your repetition and petition. He's not. He is thrilled. It's so important that we understand that Jesus died to make that possible. Why would he be you again? But why do we have these perceptions of God? It's so, it's so detrimental to our dwell, our, present, our relationship with God. Like, he, please understand, he's the prodigal father on the horizon. Can't wait for you to break over the horizon. He's been looking for you for months, and now you're coming home. Who's running to who? Who's restoring who? Who's giving them their inheritance back? This is, this is the heart and posture of our God. But here, in contrast, the friend says, do not bother me. The doors are now shut. Aren't you glad the door isn't shut, but that it's open? And you know what's interesting about a first sentence? Like when this was actually stated to the people that he stated this, they would have understood that there was a veil between them and God. They would have understood that it, that, that it required a, a high priest. I can't go into his presence, but somehow he's permitted it with all of the sacrificial uh, ordinances. He, he can go with a rope tied around just in case. You know, like, but now, think about now that what Jesus has done, the door is not shut. The door is open. The cordon's been torn from heaven to earth. We have access to the Father. We're supposed to come with confidence and boldness before the throne of grace in our hour of need. Like, isn't that awesome? Right? Isn't that glorious? Like that the door is never, ever shut. 
And then he says, and my children are with me in bed. Do you know that you're not outside the door, you're inside the door in the bed? Because you're his child. If you're, if you're his today, if you've trusted Christ as Lord and you've had the sweet, powerful experience of his spirit being birthed in your life and you're not fixed, you're new, you know what I'm talking about. You're, in, you're, you're sharing that intimacy because he's your father and that's where, fa- that's where the kids hang out with the daddy, right? I love that. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up. Do you, do, do you know this morning that God is never unable to get up? and move in your life, and give you anything. That's never, this is a contrast, folks. Beloved, this is a contrast. This is, God's never in this posture. So Christ explained that although the friend might not move for the sake of the friendship, he will. Is that good news this morning? Does that not beckon you to prayer about anything and everything you face. The Greek word here for persistence occurs only here in the New Testament. It's anadia, okay? And this word, it means both shamelessness and boldness. Like, that, like, like, like okay. you want to talk about one of the sweetest moments in preparation for this message? Right here. Think about this word, shamelessness. What happened in the fall? What happened at the cross? Our shame has been removed so we can shamelessly come before. We sung about it, right? Your stains are gone. This word persistence that we translate persistence is so much bigger and better than that word in our English vocabulary. It means shameless. Like we don't come going, I wonder if he's awake. I wonder if he's going to like that I'm knocking on. Like he, we come knowing the heart of our father, knowing his response. And we come without sin or stain. We come knowing that we're his kids, confident that we've been adopted, pursued by the spirit for his presence. And we come shamelessness. Isn't that good? I mean, come on, man. That is awesome. Like, I love that. Like, that, that just points to Jesus. That just points to, we could never come shamelessness. We could never come that way before. There was a veil. There was, there was a barrier. And now this holy God has invited us in and made us saint and son and daughter Listen to what this says in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Who, who are they talking about? Jesus, right? Our high priest, our, our priest, our advocate, our king, our lamb, right? But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now listen to what this says. Let us then, in light of his sacrifice... Let us then, with confidence, shamelessness, draw near to the throne of grace. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Can I ask you a question? Are you ever in need of forgiveness? Like 10 minutes ago. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like we're always in need of repentance and forgiveness. And what we're told here is, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you know what? Guys, I hope that First John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the heart and posture of our God. Do you know that? Do you race into his presence when you've fallen short? Or do you still, like in the garden, run and hide and try to cover it up and, or blame other people for it? We do all of that, but that's our sinful response. The, the, the response the Holy Spirit wants as he convicts our hearts is repentance, turning, and answering the question that God asked in the garden. Where are you? Oh, Daddy, I'm right here. I'm at your feet and I'm sorry. Oh, that's all, that's all I ever wanted. Right? Because you can't fix yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't heal yourself, but I can. And that's what I want you to do is come fall at my feet. In, in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him. Confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now listen to what this says. And if we know that he hears us because we've asked in accordance to his will, in, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked in him. Now, this is where we get confidence in prayer. This is where we know if we ask, we will receive, right? When we're asking in accordance to his will, we can have confidence that he hears us and we can know that we're going to get an answer. Problem, we don't ask in accordance to his will. Problem, we ask for our own needs and benefits that we might use it for our own purposes. We don't ask in faith. This, this is what keeps us like, man, listen to what William Temple said. We do not pray in order to change his will, which, would, which really is kind of asking God to change him. It's, it's not going to happen, by the way. Um, we do not pray in order to change his will, but to bring our wills into harmony with his. That's what prayer is. And that's why so often we're having to wait and we're getting the no answers. In verse eight, it says, I tell you, Jesus said, though he, speaking of the unbenevolent friend in this case, will not get up and give you anything because he is his friend. That's all he is, is his friend. He's not his God. He's not his father. He's not his provider, right? Because he won't give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. That means like just he's, Knocking, he's knocking, he's seeking, he's asking, right? Shamelessness, because of his shamelessness. Do you know that you are, you've been invited in? In. It's an urgent posture that we should have in prayer. He will rise, speaking of this guy, because the friend is tired of the knocking. That's never God. Do you know that God is never tired of hearing from you on any topic or occasion? Nothing. Man, the enemy wants to, believe, wants to tell you, yeah, you've kind of, you've gone beyond this, the 490 that Jesus talked about, you know, 70 times 7. That, by the way, that means every time, right? Um, so it says, and he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Because he's a friend and because he's tired of the not, that's not God. He's better than all of that. Listen to what Philip Brooks says. Prayer is not overcoming our father's reluctance. Have you ever thought that? I've just got to out, I've just got to out ask him and maybe he'll give me what I want. You know, like God, prayer is not overcoming our father's reluctance. It is laying hold of his highest willingness. You know what that means? Like 
knowing what God is willing to give. Like, he wants to give you heaven. And we want earth. It's, it's crazy. Why do we want earth when he wants to give us heaven? Makes no sense. I love this. The commentary said this. Boldness in prayer overcomes the praying person's apathy. Boldness in prayer overcomes the praying person's apathy. Easy for me to say, apathy. Not God's perceived insensitivity, right? Like, that's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to overcome God's perceived insensitivity to our needs. That's not true of who he is. To practice persistence changes the hearts and the minds of those who are praying. It helps them to understand and express the intensity of their needs. Persistence in prayer helps them recognize God's work. And by praying persistently, believers are not trying to get a reluctant God to answer their prayers. Instead, they are showing that they are very serious about what they are asking for. All of that is true. Right? I mean, are you praying to get God to do what you want? Or are you a clay in the potter's hands in prayer saying, God, help me to, to want genuinely and sincerely what you want? See, God is not slow to respond like a friend. He's not. Look at, look at Luke chapter 18, verse 8. He speedily responds. James 2, I talked about the two reasons for unanswered prayer. Jesus, and and this is Jesus' point here. If persistence worked on a door of a reluctant friend, how much more will persistence render blessing from our loving Heavenly Father who wants to give us His heart? Verse 9, it says this, and we know this, you know, and I tell you, ask. The word in in the Greek is, is, is ongoing. It's it's keep on asking. That's what it's, it's saying. Ask, keep on, and it will be given to you. Seek, keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock, keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. So why, please don't miss this, why keep on asking, seeking, and knocking? Why? We get to know his heart. This is my, so probably not comprehensive. We get to know his heart his plan, his priorities, his word, his wants and desires. Because here's, here's, this is not rocket science, but he already knows ours. Why are we trying to get him to... <laughs> he knows. How do you respond to God's know and wait? Because that is a massive indicator of whether you're asking for his will or yours. If you're asking for his and he says no or wait, you're like, no is a great answer because that means that this isn't your yes. But if we're not getting our way, now we're a little upset, a little frustrated, and we start taking it out on him. I mean, sometimes we have to make, and this is huge. The Lord gave this to me. and I love this. I, I will not forget this. Sometimes we have to make adjustments to receive what we are asking for. What are you talking about, Pastor Colin? You know, if you're asking for a spouse, do you think that maybe we need to make some adjustments before we're ready for that gift? What if we're asking for money or finances? Do you think that maybe sometimes that the love of money can be the root of all kinds of evil and it might be more dangerous than helpful? Or what about, what about forgiveness? 
What about when we're asking for forgiveness? And we, we've yet to forgive. The list is long or short. And we're told in the scriptures, that's, that's not coming until we get, I, I, what I'm trying to get you to do, son, daughter, is I'm trying to get you to forgive here based on what I've already done for you. So sometimes we have to make adjustments to receive what we're asking for. See, only through prayer can believers stay in contact with God. It's part of our dwell. Know what, what he wants them to do and then have the strength to do his will in all areas of life. And then think about this. Our gracious heavenly father will answer believers who persistently ask, seek, and knock. So why do we do anything persistently or consistently? Why, think about the things that you do persistently and consistently. Why do we do those things? Some thoughts. It's valued or important. It's critical or necessary. We have come to realize its benefits. Does your prayer life have these characteristics of consistent and persistent? We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that we're to pray without ceasing. And Amir and I were talking just recently. Man, that, I think that the complimentary passages on that is set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And we see that all over the New Testament. That when we set our mind on things above, that this becomes the ongoing dialogue with the Lord. When we're going, like we're just talking to the Lord throughout the day, processing things by, you know, lean, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, later uh, in verse 13, says this, you will seek me and find me, what? When you seek me with all your heart. Guys, are you seeking the Lord? With, are there other things that you're seeking at this season of life? Or are you seeking him? Is your prayer life marked by a pursuit of him? Not stuff, not the world, but heaven, Right? The verb picture, and this is a great commentary piece, the verbs picture a faith that is willing to ask for something that only God can provide, to seek something that has been lost or whose position is not known, and to knock on a closed door in order to gain admittance. In these cases, God is accessible and is willing to respond. Verse 10 goes on to say, for everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks, it will be opened. Like that doesn't sound like uh, reluctancy to me. That sounds like someone that's saying, man, I've got some stuff for you. I, I just, it's not stuff. I've, I've got my heart for you. I've, I, I've got me. I want to get, I, I want to, I want to, I want to pour myself into your life. He's got things he wants to give us too. As long as it doesn't get us. All three actions are metaphors for praying. Sometimes God does not answer Christians' prayers immediately. Sometimes they must keep on knocking, awaiting God's answer. However, if we continue to trust God through prayer, Jesus promised that we will receive, find, and have an open door. I, I want to give you an illustration from this week in my life in prayer. Um, we're about to go on a mission trip, um, and we take the van with us um, to Louisiana. And uh, over the last several um, months, um, you know, like on the side of, the, of a 15 passenger van, there's a door that opens. And then there's a secondary door that you have to do a handle on the inside to open. 
And that's the same thing on the back of the van. When you open the door, there's a secondary door. There's a little handle that you open so you can open both doors to get... Well, both of those secondary doors have... The handle has come away from the cables. So I, 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 for four weeks ago, I went to Ford. I said, hey, I'd just like to see if we can get this taken care of. They said, we're five weeks out. You know, and I'm like, oh, okay. And I just didn't have peace about saying, get me on the list, you know. So, um, so I, I started praying about it, but let me just tell you, I prayed about it, but I continued to think, what am I going to do? I prayed about it as I, it would come up, and then I would continue to think, you know, what's, um, who could, um, I wonder who would. And then that morning, I was convicted, right? I was convicted, man, who are you asking here? Like, how about you just give it to him and just leave it in his hands, right? Like, just go, hey, um, so God, I've got this. Would you take, yeah, great. And what would that depict? That maybe he's able, he's powerful, he could, he, he, he's willing. Like, so I, I left it. I just, I mean, and you know the difference, right? You know the difference between you keep kind of, like, I'll take that back. You know, like, I mean, like, between letting it go and continuing to either worry or be anxious about it or, or try to fix it on your own. So I let it go. So I dropped, uh, Amir and Jerry and I dropped off our car at a new mechanic because sweet Kathy and their wonderful gift to us, uh, I mean, that's to be celebrated. You know, that, that's, that's, uh, there's a transition there. So uh, Norm is on vacation for a month. And so I went across the street to Mr. Chico, who the Lord, you know, led me to in Carabas weeks before. So I just felt led to go there. And so I'm getting this thing on my car fixed. And uh, I'm sitting down with Anthony, who I sat down previously to try to get an appointment. And Anthony came to Christ through Teen Challenge just recently. And, uh, and we were talking about his testimony. He's got his big cross on, you know, not the second time I saw him. And, uh, and, and so we, he's just telling me, you know, about his walk with the Lord. And, and it's just this wonderful moment, which is so much more than any car being fixed, right? I mean, that's what God's doing. And, um, and so, um, so I come back that afternoon to pick up the car and I'm talking to Anthony, and I, I literally just felt led to go, hey, Anthony, so I've, I've got this 15-passenger van, and, the ha- and I'm, I mean, I don't even get that far into the thing. He's like, I know, I know. The handles don't fix. The, the cables come across from the wire. Blah, blah. I mean, he like tells me the whole thing. And then he, in the middle of saying it, he gets up and walks out of the office. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he comes back, and he's got this part that, that isn't designed to fix this problem, but he has worked on over 200 of them, and he knows how to make this part actually fix this for very little time and materials. He said, the first time I did this, it was like $1,400 because you had to buy this handle from Ford and this cable and redo this whole thing. And he's like, oh, it's, it'll take me a half an hour per door, and it'll be done. Look, <laughs> like, he's the guy. How did I get to the guy? You know, like, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, God's got a lot of girls and guys. You know, he's got a lot of results and, and answers for us, but are we leaving it in his hands? And man, all I could do is smile. I was on the verge of tears. You know, I'm just, you know, thanking, and I just told him, you're an answer to prayer. Do you know, like, please don't make that a mantra. You're an answer to prayer. How, do you want to be an answer to prayer? I, I know I do. I thought that was fantastic. 
Well, as we wrap up, it says in verses 11 through 12, it says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Yikes. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? So how many dads, if their son asks for a bite to eat, will give them something that would bite them instead? I agonized over that thought for a while. How am I going to say this? None. Like, who does that? Like, that's terrible, right? So when we ask our gracious, loving, kind, and merciful Heavenly Father for things, He has promised us in His Word, what should we expect? What should we expect? I mean, what does He promise? What's His truth say? Questions to be answered, the foreign to be found, and the doors to be opened. Amen? Like that's what we should expect because is God true, is faithful to his word, right? And then finally, our last word, verse. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I have two points here. And then the worship team's gonna come. Guys, this gets addressed a lot. Please don't miss this. Don't check out on me. Listen to this. We tend to put God in our own image. Talk about boxes, right? Like we, what I mean is we ascribe to God the ideal attributes of a perfect earthly father. Do you know he blows that out of the water? Like that, that like God's going, you, you can sell me that short? You know, like, like that's what's being said here is like, he's not like, God is not the perfect earthly father. He is God, and he's your father. Wow! Right? Let's not put him in that box. He is so much better than the best father that's ever lived because he's God. And he's your daddy. Right? Like, how good is that? And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. He's not talking about, yeah, listen, scorpions and serpents, they're dangerous. Dad's not going to do that, but you're earthly. Like how much more? Do you hear what Jesus is saying about his, he's got firsthand experience with his dad. He's saying, look, my daddy, he's so much better than your daddy. He's better than your, your neighbor's daddy and your, and your ideal daddy and your imagination daddy. He is the God of all daddies. That's who he is and he's your father. You know, I, I want to ask you another question. Are you ever afraid of God's answer? Don't be. <laughs> Look, God is good. Like, I'm not saying it won't be hard, because that's good too. Like, but God is good. And listen, when it's hard, he's with you. What else do you need? Right? Like, look, don't be afraid of him. That's what the parable of the talent with the one talent guy, he didn't even know God. He was afraid of him, so he buried his life. He buried his talent. And so he was buried in the end, right? Like, please understand, like, don't be afraid of him. Know that his way is better and he's, he's welcomed you into his presence. He loves you and knows your needs and your future. This is our God. God is not selfish, begrudging, or stingy. His followers don't have to beg or grovel when they come with their request. He is a heavenly father who understands, cares, comforts, and is willing to give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Would the worship team please come? The most important gift Jesus could ever give us 
is the Holy Spirit, whom he promised to give all believers in Acts chapter 2. We're told that, verses 1 through 4, after his death, burial, and return to his original seated position before God the Father. Now, let me say this, guys. Isn't it kind of sobering when you hear this passage? Many will say, Lord, Lord, on that day, and he will say, depart from me. Lord Jesus, King of kings, will say, depart from me, for I did not know you as my bride. Um, We see in Acts that there are people that were actually doing ministry that experienced the baptism of, of, of John the Baptist, but not the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus alone grants. Guys, we can never, ever get what God ultimately wants to give us without the Holy Spirit because that's what God wants to give us, himself. And the Holy Spirit is the one that then gives us his heart, his character, his countenance, his presence, his power. So here's my question for you this morning. Man, I've watched, I've heard of pastors preaching for 20, 25 years and then making this statement. I got saved last week. Or people in ministry singing songs for Jesus like Clay Cross. I love his testimony. He said, I sang for 10 years and I didn't even know Jesus. I thought I did. But he wasn't bathed in the Holy Spirit. And, and here's the thing. Jesus says, you just got to ask him. You just got to ask. Listen, there's no way. You want to know some of the most miserable people are people that are trying to be a Christian without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And trust me, there are many. And that's unfortunate because it's impossible. And the, the, the crazy thing is, is God saying, hey, just ask me with good heart, intentions, repentance. Just ask me and I'll save you and I'll put my spirit inside of you. And you, listen, you, you'll be new, not fixed. And you are broken, but I'll make you new, right? And then later on in Acts, we see where there are people that just, that Paul lays hands on. And he says, he prayed that they would receive the Holy Spirit, and he did. Peter was just sharing his witness with a bunch of people, Gentiles, in in Cornelius' house. And all of a sudden, in the middle of his testimony, the Holy Spirit just started falling on people because they believed what, what Peter was saying about the God that loves them. Listen, while we sing this last song, would you ask God to pour out his Spirit on you? There's two forms of God's pouring out his Spirit, so I say this to the saint too. One is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when we're saved. That's when we're justified, made, like declared not guilty, right? And then there's the filling of the Holy Spirit, which every saint should ask for on a regular basis. God, fill me with your spirit. We see that all over the place. So I don't know, I don't know what you need to ask for, but whatever the spirit is leading you to do in this moment, ask him because he's willing to give you the good gift of himself, his Holy Spirit. And then after the service, if you're like, look, I need someone to, it just would be important to me that someone lay hands on me and ask God, ask on my behalf that the Holy Spirit would be poured out in my life. I want you to know that there's going to be men here and women, whoever, that will be happy to pray for you after the service. Okay? Does that make sense? Seek the Lord for what he's promised. He wants to give you himself fully. I love you guys.
Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.